Welcome to this episode of Ness and Dorma, where we shift our focus north of the border, reflecting a development in the late 80s that probably came as a surprise. And looking back on it, perhaps it'll never happen again. We'll find out more about that from Martin Ramsey. Hello, Martin. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? I'm okay. I hope you are too. And Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Hello. How are you doing? Perfectly fine. Looking forward to it. So, um, Martin, you're very much our expert here. Can you set the scene? Glasgow, let's say 1985 or so, awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is uh, obviously from... Uh, a book that uh, I had written last year, came out earlier this year, um, called Revolution, um, about Rangers from 1986 to, to 92, and obviously starting with the arrival of, of, of Graham Souness. Um, Scottish folks, yeah, Scotland in 1985. Um, well, Scottish football in 1985 is quite mixed and varied and, and interesting, I suppose. There's no... Um, hegemony that we are so used to um, now. Um, we have had a European success only two years before, of course, with with, with Aberdeen and and, and, and Ferguson, um, and and that that title is very much uh, a competitive um, multi-team event. One team that's kind of excluded from that is Rangers, who are nowhere, uh, absolutely nowhere. Um, uh, very much languishing in mid-table. The League Cup is the the, the only sucker that the Rangers fans. Um, uh, get, uh, but but yeah, it's interesting. But let's say still within its, its its bubble at times. And it's worth asking where. So where were Rangers in terms of um, kind of before? Uh, soon as took over, they only just scrambled to qualify for Europe, didn't they? I mean, we obviously yeah. people who listen to this, particularly in England, will think of you know worst case scenario aside from the obvious, Rangers are going to finish second. Mm. Um, but that wasn't the case at all in Scotland, obviously. In 85-86, Rangers on the last day of that season scrambled to finish fifth and therefore get into Europe, into the the, the UEFA Cup. How many years was the title? Last title was in 1978. Um, So Rangers had certainly this long period of dominance, of course, uh, with their their nine in a row in in, in European Cup success. Uh, Rangers broke that in 75, then had a treble in 75-76, a year off, and then another treble um, uh, in 77-78. And looked like they could win all four at one point in in 78-79, and that ended um, quite flat. And that was that. That very much was a period of wilderness of... um, um, mixed uh, lack of direction. The boardroom is full of car salesmen who want <laughs> to be there really as um, for a social badge of honour really than, than grabbing the opportunity to, to, to drive the club forward, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And also Ibrox is being rebuilt from the, 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 the late mm. 70s and the, the early 80s at huge expense. Um, and people... I presume we'll know um, why that rebuild um, had to happen. Um, but by the time you're getting to 85, 86, you have this great stadium where the only standing areas are the two small enclosures uh, at the bottom of the main stand next to the tunnel. Everything else is seated. You would, the best part of 40,000 seats there. Um, and it looks like something from the space age, but the team does not fit it. And I think that, that was the, the, the general kind of mum, mumps and groans at the time. 
what what were those those groans at the time? I mean, was it kind of getting to the stage of sack the board, sack the board, sack the board, or or was there a sense that the the sleeping giant was merely snoozing rather than in a slumber? The the, the sack the board thing, or certainly being as um, vitriolic as that, I, I'm not really sure that that that. That kind of comes out in football in general until uh, a lot later on. There's, it's just a general, um, a general moan. Um, who, who else is going to take over? You know, I mean, it's, it's all well and good saying that we were not in the era of big multi-million-pound um, takeovers. So th- there's a sense I mean, there would have been some suggestions and in, 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 in a lot of criticism at the board, but there's certainly a sense through uh, the contemporaneous writing at the time that this is. This is kind of what you're stuck with. They just need to get things better. They just need to make better decisions. Um, John Gregg um, was a club legend, still is a club legend, of course. But his time as a manager had to to, to come come short. It came too soon, really, in, in all honesty, as it does for so many guys who finish playing and go straight into a, a, a big job, more of whom later on, right enough. Um, and uh, Jock Wallace, who did, won those trebles back in the 70s, had come back, but was not working uh, at all so it, it certainly the very top Gary it, it was not regime change uh, there, there was not a call for for that, that that kind of restructure even though that's exactly what needed to happen it just wasn't au fait or just wasn't in in, in, in fashion at the time um, but certainly a new manager and uh, a, a new direction and and some some money well, hand, on the pitch rather than off it. A handbrake turn was about to happen, but you've mentioned Jock Wallace there, and he was old school even in the mid '80s. And Rob, I know you and I have a particular take a particular pleasure in a, a YouTube video of Jock Wallace during his time at Leicester City. Do you want to describe the glory of uh, training pre-season training, Jock Wallace style? Yeah, I don't think it was. Maybe it wasn't that unusual, but it, f- it felt like it the first time I saw it. Anyway, basically, he's got when he was at Leicester. I mean, there's so many stories, you know, about him. Gary Lineker tells a story about in the reserves, Wallace had him by the throat at half time. Lineker had scored twice and they were two and a half. But anyway, this involves all the players running up these really steep hills with sandy hills, basically just keep running, keep running. And you can just hear Wallace barking, hands off that bloody sand. Um, and yeah, you know, you hear stories about loads of being sick. Um, hence my crap pun, Wallace and Vomit, uh, for a piece I did a few years ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting though because um, I thought what I was going to say about that. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those in the early days of YouTube, it was a real kind of revelation to find these things because you'd hear about them and then you think, but now, of course, everything is there. So the kind of that feeling of uncovering almost like a bootleg tape or something has kind of diminished a bit um the, the sand dunes rob that, that that's legendary here i mean he, he did the same so was that in his first spell as well yeah i had both i think um and mm. certainly down in galane um on the fife fife coast i think certainly in the east, mm. the east coast of scotland um those punishing crippling um pre-season um uh routines and it, there was more to him than that there, there, yeah. there absolutely was but the, the, that's we, we deal in caricature so often and that Rangers team as um, tough and uncompromising but very blunt and this um, artistry, genius, creative force and, and David Cooper um, was was not realised the way it, that it, it initially had been in the 70s um, was becoming far more peripheral um, um, some fans would say it was McCoy who was the, the real 
or a very young McCoist, who was a real kind of um, shining light in those those kind of um, later Wallace years. But um, but Cooper's uh, move to the sidelines really probably was 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 quite a nice sim- maybe a bit too simplistic, but a nice mm-hmm. kind of simple caricature of of, of where that where that the, the club and the, the team was at the time. No no time for any of that. <laughs> yeah. So the the idea of getting soonest, where does that come from? What's the germ of it? Uh, how long was it in the planning or in the attempt to woo him? Because he he'd be at Sampdoria, presumably his third year. He was at Samp, right? yeah. Well, this is the thing. Um, Depending the, the on you, yeah. Well, you, you've read my 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 book, Rod. That that epilogue is far too big for 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 from normal. But I felt it had to be because there was there was three things that I felt needed to take place in order for this this to happen. First. Mm. Which we, we might come on to in a minute was the, the UEFA ban, um, yeah, and the indeterminate nature yes. of that ban. If that's they had really said, important, right? It? Yeah, it absolutely is because if they'd said in 1985, right, you're all out for two years, Liverpool with an extra, then there's a defined mm. limit to that. Um, by the time you know 1986 arrives, well, one year's gone, um, and the draw and the pool, which we will talk about later, this which just seems even more remarkable as time goes on. Um, just cannot. I don't think it, it yeah. can really can really exist. So so that's there. Um, this regime change, which does happen, even though there, there, there are no placards and there's no you know mobs outside the door. You you have this this boardroom musical chairs that's gone on for for years stops when there's a deal done between two. Um, and now for the first time, Rangers have a majority shareholder, um, and change can be pushed through with with pace and he takes a step back and uh, it puts in place a, a a chief exec from his own building firm and away we go someone can make decisions without endless meetings being required and and um that that, that dynamic pace is a key part of the story celtic get bogged down in in the early to mid 90s with family blocks and just this kind of stodgy um, lack of, of traction in the boardroom. So that, that's really important. And and David Holmes, who was the, the, the chief exec, says that it came to him one night uh, as, he, as he lay in bed that Graham Soonis would be a, um, a a good idea. We need, you know, we need this this change um, at, at the top as player manager. Um, that does not happen. It's inconceivable that happens without Liverpool appointing Kenny Dalglish in 85. Um, because the player manager concept by this time is old fashioned. It's old hat. It's it's something that's a throwback to um, the twenties and thirties. Did Herbert Chapman maybe do that at Huddersfield before he he went on to obviously um, become a, a managerial giant in his own right? Uh, I think Johnny Giles was maybe doing it at West Brom um, for for a while in the seventies. It was something that an old pro would maybe be asked to come in just to help out, just to as a bridge, really, before a club kind of gets its act together. It was old hat. It was small time. Um, it was certainly not for a club the size of Liverpool um, or Rangers. So this was new uh, again, or it was it was um, in vogue um, again. And, yeah, there's, there's just... I, I don't think it's conceivable that David Holmes or anyone else has the idea to say, let's get a Liverpool legend in as player-manager if that hadn't happened. And... It wasn't, we, no one knew the success was going to be because Liverpool, of course, won the double. And sorry, Gary, uh, I know that would be um, painful because Everton very much should have. Um, but uh, this was around January time, January 86, that the first call goes out um, to, to Italy um, to, to to chat about that. Um, 
and there are a few as soon as it's i think three books and i think his account of, of how this happened is different in, in in each of them um which is why um players and managers maybe shouldn't be trusted too much in the the, the, the memoirs but um yeah that this that starts to, to gain a bit of pace january february um Holmes suggests that you probably need a Scottish assistant. You've you've never played here. You might be the Scotland captain, but you have never actually played club football in Scotland. Um, and that's with, with obviously the idea for for Walter Smith, who was Jim McLean's assistant in Dundee United, to to come down and um, and and provide that support. So it was pretty much all in place um, by the early spring. Um, at the end of the season, that that was the plan. Let's get to the end of the season. But things were going south, and Rangers had to act pretty pretty quickly before before then to ensure they got that fifth place just to set a little context martin um because many listeners won't have been to ibrox or necessarily be aware of of rangers place in not just in scottish football but in the the wider context of 20th century uh scottish culture is that the sense of, of going to Ibrox is, even today, is like attending an institution. It's like going into Glasgow University or or um, the old Highbury. There's, there's marble halls. There's a sense of permanence. There, there is the beautifully understated, I think, uh, memorial to, to those who uh, lost their lives in the disaster of 1971. Um, it doesn't look like an easy place to to jump in and say everything's going to be different from now, um, despite the fact that everything needed to be different. Uh, it, it is a it is an institution with the kind of solidity that that one finds in Scotland. And I was only sort of half serious when I was referring to the Scottish Enlightenment, but it, it does feel part of that tradition. It doesn't feel English, and yet it feels permanent. Um, is that a, a fair summation of, of where Rangers were as a football club, and indeed where they are now? Oh, where they are now, that, that's, that's, that's another conversation. Um, it, it's, certainly, it's certainly right there that this, this, uh, this permanence, they, they were a fixture, but they were, they were not not relevant really um, as a as a, a sporting um, fixture in in, in in the Scottish game and you're absolutely right the the the, the main stand the marble staircase all of uh, all of that architecture Archibald Leach's um, design of course uh, the great doyen of, of um, football uh, architecture in the early 20th century but it felt like a museum Walter Smith who had to come in early um, soon as couldn't get away from from Sampdoria um, before the, the the season ended, so Smith had to come in just to, to see Rangers through those those final few weeks. Um, was devastated, probably too too strong a word, but very disappointed about the actual standards within that facade. Within the you know when you get past that 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 room, and the strips not been washed properly at all, training kit not been washed at all, and his as a as a man who grown up idolising Rangers since he was a boy. Um, he felt that way, that, that everything Rangers did was, was first class and absolutely took, you know, the best grade. And to find that, that that didn't match his experience was was a huge letdown. And I think that actually made the, the, the job easier for someone coming in to say, this is what this club should be like. You've let that go. 
you've let that go badly. Um, so um, you're going to have to do pretty much everything I say to, 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 to bring it back. But you still need a character who is a force of nature, really, who's, who's, who's just bigger than anyone else around them. And they did. Uh, Rob, um, I inevitably have a slightly <laughs> skewed version, I would suggest, of, of Graham Sooners at this time. Um, I will give you it, but um, <laughs> what, was, what, what was the the kind of general kind of view south of the border of Sooners? Because he'd been away for a little while, but he was still a major figure in, in British football. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I was only 10, but obviously kind of reading about it. He was just an absolute giant, wasn't he? He's one of the greatest players in Britain of his generation. You know, there all these arguments about who was better, soon as Robson and so on. Well, absolutely everything Liverpool. Um, and I thought there's a really nice bit. It might be in the prologue, actually, in Martin's book. So soon as he's in the BBC studio on the night of Heisel, um, which obviously has all kinds of implications and, as Martin said, kind of facilitates this. But he was just, yeah, I swear, I wouldn't say he was statesmanlike isn't quite right, the right word, but he was an absolute giant. I mean, he'd have been out of sight in Italy, but he would still be done so much in Liverpool. Obviously, you'd still see him for Scotland. Um, and I, what I would like to know, actually, I'd probably like to ask you this, Gary, is whether at that time people recognised how good a footballer he was or was he just seen as a really intimidating midfield dominator? Well, I think, I think they did recognise that he was a great footballer, but his personality and his his elemental force on the pitch overpowered even his his skills. I mean, I I still to this day say that one of the top five greatest performances I've ever seen from a player, and I'm including Maradona and people like that in this as a single performance in a match, was the League Cup replay against Everton in 1984. Oh, he's the winner. Yeah, he scored the one goal. It was one goal in, what was it, 120 minutes and then 90 minutes. Yeah. But he completely dominated the middle of the field. And he, he, he did it as much by the ferocity of, of everything he did, the, the will to win, even the bristling moustache. You know, it was all just part of a persona. And the only player I can think in, in British football who's had quite that focus and that ability to simply stand ab above the game somehow and, and force his own team and his opponents into doing what he wanted to them to do would be Roy Keane at his, at his absolute peak. So it was very much a, a kind of all-round package. And maybe where I feel a little skewed is that, is that when... When he went to Rangers and we started seeing clips on Saint and Greavesy, uh, some of that disappeared uh, because he was obviously older, he'd slowed down, he got this calf injury and so on. Um, and there were the red cards, there were the, the jokes that we used to have. You know, one of the, the lines we, we would say is that, uh, you know, we'd be on the way to the match and say, oh, I'm going to try and get there get there early. Have you, have you got time uh, to nip in the pub? So you'd say, well, maybe for a soonest and as soon as of course a quick half and then off um because of the uh the propensity to pick up red cards um I'll, I'll maybe come back to that a little when we talk about the the, the discipline but make no mistake about it soonest was a great player 
uh, and and clearly a great player with anyone for anyone with eyes to see. Rob, I want to ask a question to both of you. Really, his personality is so important to what he did at Rangers. Did he? Did he ever know doubt? Did he ever doubt himself at all, or did he just hide it better than other people? Um. I'm no, never no, convinced. Broad, I'm never convinced by this. I mean, I he had it. He certainly had it better than other people. I mean, you, you couldn't see it. Um, that that that's absolutely for sure. And there's an incredible amount of self belief. It, it was his way of the highway. And but the the notion that he 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 breezed home and didn't have any um, any internal conflict or, or or internal dialogue is 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 not not true he obsessed about injuries and he was quite paranoid about injuries and why why is this happening to us now that's not really obsessing about his decision making right enough that's mm. um externalities but um yeah he he he, he did tie it. i remember speaking to mark gately about about doubt and he said there, there is no doubt i i just don't really yeah accept that but yeah, again i'm not a, a, a professional footballer of, of of great renown and and many medals and caps and, and and whatever else but it's what what separates these guys apart from their ability and, and, and everything else is to hide that rob it's to deal with that uh and to crowd out the voices of um doubt and some some might say reason um because he <laughs> he, he blew through things here for for five years um and it was only ever going to last that long there, there, there was i get asked or doing the, the the podcast series around these these, these two books um and i get asked a lot of time could it have been different you know could he have of 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 changed something and, and maybe stayed for for longer built a, a kind of you know longer um era there I, I i don't think that was really ever ever the case he that 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 was that was his his force and that's the force that was that was required sorry Rob. No, just very quickly before I ask another question, you should mention your pods in case people want a more in-depth um, podcast oh, yeah. on the subject because they're they're free now, aren't they? They were paid. They, they they are free. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on the 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 heart and hand um, Rangers feed. Yeah, the, the, the whole idea dominant? was dominant. Yeah, it's we, we did a series from eighty six to ninety eight, the the the, the Sunnis and, and Smith years, and it's it's it is a deep dive into the football, but it's it's about Scottish culture and life um and, and Scottish football um in general around that time because yeah, the the impact of course of, of 1986 was not just on was not just in Ibrox it was yeah. um and in, in the surrounding the surrounding area as well. But yeah they're exactly. they're they're, they're a So what's the before we start the football obviously and him getting sent off in his first game and all that, what's the big moment of eighty six in terms of kind of not I was gonna say put a flag in the ground and I thought we were doing that in Turkey. Um, but <laughs> but you know do you want to talk about Terry Butcher? There's a good story behind yeah. signing him and what it meant as well because of how big he was in England. Well this is this this notion that well the Heisel ban of course changed everything which it did but the Heisel ban had been in place for a year and no other Scottish club had thought you know we could reverse the traditional flow of labour that's been in place for the best part of a century now. Um, no one's, no one has that vision. No one has that ambition. Probably not the money. Um, and the Rangers board, when soon as because that that was his thing. He said, "No, that this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to we're going to buy the, you know the best English players we we, we can." And he said, "We well, will they come for a start? Will the support take to them? Because um, um, it just it just seems so alien and." From his arrival in April '86, well, his announcement in, in 
uh, April '86 until, um, of course, he, he fully started the job in, in, in the May and then obviously that, that summer. The build-up to that World Cup, uh, Terry Butcher in his book talks about it that, that the England camp that there's only one team that, that, that players are talking about and it, it, it's Glasgow Rangers, which is incredible. And then Butcher says their whispers start going around that someone's already signed, and that that someone, of course, was was, was Chris Woods um, and. Butcher thought he was mad. So, but you know, what about your your, your England place? Um, and I think he'd, he'd got assurances that, that 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 wouldn't be a problem. And then, I think Soonis used Woods, and he used um, one of his journalist friends who was in the camp um, to start getting into Butcher's ear. So he was certainly aware of of that. Um, obviously, wanted to concentrate on on everything else. But um, Butcher played in the UNICEF match in Los Angeles, Europe against the Americas, um, scored, in fact, um, before Diego did. And I think uh, the Americas won on penalties. I think Maradona scored the, the, the winning penalty. Um, Can I just quickly so- interrupt? Is that the game yeah. where you sent me that video of Maradona having some... So someone came on to to celebrate with him and, and gave him gave him a a little um, pick me up, shall we say, on the pitch. They, 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 <laughs> they celebrated their um their the anyway. This is in the Pasadena yeah, Rose Bowl. Yeah. It's huge and uh, it's kind of big big deal. It was a few weeks after the World Cup. So I think Butcher going to Florida on holiday and then come back to to do that. So all the players are after the game um are up in the Hollywood Hills um, having a good night. Butcher's three three in the morning, um going back to bed um pissed. Um, the the phone goes as, as soon as you, you're flying in tomorrow. I'll, I'll I'll meet you. Yeah, no problem. Butcher forgets what hotel because there's two holiday inns and he's forgotten what one it is. He's at the the other one. Soon as busts over to 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 catch him. I think Butcher's of the the impression that they're going to have a chat. Soon he's going to outline his plans and then Butcher can go home and sleep off his hangover, speak to the wife, etc. etc. And, and these things rumble on for a few weeks. Soon as has no interest in that, gets him on a plane straight up to Edinburgh um, and then drives over to Ibrox. He wanted to show him the stadium, um, which again, it's hard to impress now just how far forward Ibrox is in in, in Britain. Um, And Butcher is impressed. He would have still signed for Manchester United. Bobby Charlton put the blockers on that. He said that that, that Atkinson had had enough at the back Um, and that 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 kind of um, limited yeah limited Which that, that, didn't, by the way. that interest. I think Spurs wanted to, to bring him down for a while and and, and see, um, but Rangers and, and Soonis were just like a, a dog with a bone really. And more importantly, I think his his wife Rita thought actually this will be this will be perfect to, to come up with the kids and, and everything else. Um, so that was done within a week, I think, and that's. I, that's huge. It's the England, well, not the England captain, but he, he finished the England captain, didn't he? In that that, that World Cup after Brian Robson's injury and and, and, and Wilkins' um, suspension, or whatever. This is a towering figure in English football. Is now the captain of Rangers, and that's your I, that's your moment there. That this is not a this is not all surface, and it's not all um, showbiz. This this is this is for real. I remember it's only a, a kind of minor point, but it shows. That it's stuck in my mind all this time. <clears throat> Excuse me. I remember a, a couple of times, at least more than that, where I had to do a kind of double take because we were so used to hearing about Terry Butcher. And he goes to Rangers, and instead of 
kind of the the usual suspects down here, Saint and Greavesy and people like this talking about him. It's kind of Archie McPherson and Roddy Forsyth, I think, on the radio. And and he suddenly becomes this Terry Butcher. And I kept thinking, <laughs> who is this Butcher character? Um, but, of course, it was England's captain. But it showed the kind of cognitive dissonance that we needed to have south of the border to think of a a figure like Terry Butcher becoming Terry Butcher. And to my mind, to this day, when I hear him doing some co-coms or something on the radio, which he still does occasionally, I have in the back of my mind Terry Butcher um, instead of Terry Butcher. A minor point, but I think illustrative of of just what a change it was. Yeah, and he he took to took to Scotland very well. He still has a... a... A hotel restaurant up in up in the Highlands. So he took and that the family did, and yeah, uh, it was it was. Uh, I think Robson had assured him, "Listen, don't worry, your England place will not be not be affected." Um, because we we spoken about this in a Euro eighty eight, didn't we? Um, the, the the lack even but for for what three years, uh, the the lack of European um, exposure and and just that, that kind of continental regular kind of continental football um, was was starting to become a, a, a bit of a problem. How big a factor or not was money? I know that Europe was huge, the chance to play in it. Obviously, that, that, uh, Europe was not going to be enough. And, and Rangers, um, I think you might talk about someone else uh, in, a, in a moment in terms of um, uh, a, a target of, of both your club and mine, Rob, and, and Rangers did. Um, offer more money, um, so so yes, the Rangers package obviously had to be at least competitive, if not not more. But players players did want to to, to have the chance of playing the European Cup. They wanted the chance of playing playing in Europe. It, it was still it was still such a big draw. The other thing I find interesting is it wasn't just kind of for want of a better word, marquee signings for England. They also bought Graham Roberts, who was a good solid player at Spurs. Probably slightly better than that, but he wasn't, you know, I think he played a few times for him, but he was certainly wasn't a regular. Mm. Was it Colin West from Watford? Um that was his first that was his first big signing. He's kind of tar- he wanted to build the spine, uh, Woods mm. Butcher um himself. Don't forget he's he's playing. Um and and Colin West, the target man, and he has this obsession with a target man pretty much throughout his time. Um and West got injured. Badly, third or fourth game, and that that he had to go with McCoy and Fleck, who were very much not target men, very quick and and, and agile and clever and um, predatory. Um, so his um, his thing with injuries started pretty pretty quickly in terms of signings that get cropped. People think now about the English. Sorry, Gary, go on. No, I was just going to say, you mentioned, if I may, Rob, it's, uh, mm. you mentioned you McCoyce there. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you mentioned McCoyce there. We should. We always think of Ali McCoyce as being a, a Scottish footballer, but I think he was signed from Sunderland, wasn't he? He had had a sojourn down south, mm-hmm. um, didn't really make it to the extent that was expected. Um, so there is a, a sense in which he is also a signing from English football. I, I just wanted to to make sure that that, that perspective was there. Yeah, he would come back in nineteen eighty three. Um he did all right something, but yeah, didn't um set the <clears throat> the heather on fire. Um it, McCoy's was I think around eighty four, eighty five in 
in trouble. He missed a, a few chances in a uh, Scottish Cup game, I think, at home to Dundee, which Rangers lost. And quite a, a fair amount of the stadium telling him where to go. And it wasn't stay here and, and, and be a hero and the, the, you know, the, the greatest ever Rangers goal scorer. It was to go elsewhere, I think. Um, but he he had clicked into gear that, that that season before Sunnis arrived. He, he he did score a, a fair amount of goals. In fact, I think he scored the same amount of goals as he he would do in his his, his first season with Sunnis. But um, he, yeah, he, he talks about that. Durant talks about it. This is the thing. I just I just want to mention that this this is not, although as as, as remarkable as it is, being able to, to to attract some of these these players, and we'll talk about a few in a moment. Um, you're talking about three and a half players, really. And Woods Butcher, who played the whole season, Sunus, who played two thirds of it if he wasn't suspended and um, injured, and Roberts, who came for the half. Um, this is not a 2003 Abramovich yeah. refit with two players for every position. The real thing here was the players that were already there, um, who were way under par, their levels were were dragged up and they all talk about that being dragged up um, and there were huge parts in that season Durant, Flight, McCoyce, McMinn McPherson um, and that's that, that that's the real story, it's, it's influence it's it's um, attitudes it's, it's living slightly better, it's training in a completely different way, it's keeping the ball um, and you know Rangers lost at home in a pre-season game to Bayern Munich and the fans were getting a bit restless that they weren't just hoofing it up the park and as soon as they'll, they'll just have to get used to it because I'm not changing. We we have to keep the ball better. We have to be smarter. Um, and it, it was just, players loved it. The, the, the players who were already there um, just thought, oh, here we here we go, really. This is this is kind of lift off now. I just wanted to ask before, I, it'd be good to talk about his relationship with creative players like David Cooper and Ian Durant. But before that, I just wondered about the sheer volume of English players, so the kind of second and third tier. What was the thinking there? Because now we talk about an English tax, which clearly didn't apply. Was was there a Scottish tax because of I don't know jealousy or yeah irritation at what Rangers were doing? So we found it easier to get players from England because it's worth just listing a few of them over the years. You know, as well well as the the really good ones, there were people like Terry Herlock, Nigel Spackman, again like really good solid players, but not regular England internationals or anything. Yeah, that this is and this is actually this is, this is such a strange. He's a fascinating man, um, but his 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 managerial career after leaving is not stellar. He has the odd triumph, of course, um, but it's 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 no way in keeping with the expectations that, that everybody pretty much had once he once he left that the success he had would, would just go on because this guy this this He's guy and success just go right. Um, and one of his his major failings post ninety one ninety two ish um, is in the market. Mm. Gets so much wrong. Whereas at Rangers, he is so good. And his he, big marquee signs come off. The only ones, you know, Kuznetsov, for example, injured in his Bad second luck. game. I mean, yeah. well, what, what can you what, what can, can do about that? But he was so good at those little deals. Just come in, thanks, you'll do a job for, for six months, a year. And if not, we move you on and move you on at profit. And he was just so good at it, just uh, getting players in for a particular... Mel Sterling, for example. He was mm. paranoid that Gary Stevens was going to be injured. Gary Stevens hardly missed a game in his, his, his first season. But paranoid that he would. So he brings Sterling in this cover. And we can maybe use you a wee bit further up the pitch. And he does a job and he scores two goals in the, 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 the 
game that wins the, the title. And right, thanks for your time. Uh, off you go. Ray Wilkins, for example, here two years. Loved, absolutely adored. Um, it was a very much a, a two-way relationship. But just small deals like that, Spackman Hurlick, as you, as you mentioned, um, he had an eye for that about players who would do. He was not keen, weirdly, on continental signings because you, you you will struggle to get your money back if if they don't work out. Whereas in England, they trust basically they trust the, the, the player that you've got, so you're 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 going to you're going to get that back. And in Scotland, there, there there was there was a bit of a tax. Yeah, Rangers wanted Richard Goff in that that summer of '86, and he had to go to Tottenham first in order for Rangers to get him <laughs> a, a year and a bit later because Jim McLean simply wouldn't sell and soon as wasn't prepared to to meet the kind of Ludicrous demand. Of course, there is a, a seismic signing in the in the future, so maybe we'll deal with that separately because that introduces a, a, a different element and something that certainly, I don't think the word was shock south of the border, but I think there was a surprise and there was a, a kind of respect that Sunas addressed the issue of um, what, what might at its top end be sectarianism, but at, at below that level, a, a, a tradition that had its roots not in football rivalry, but in the internal politics and religion of the West of Scotland. Um, of course, we're talking about Maurice Johnson. Well, I was going to say, didn't he um, didn't he flag that in 86? Not that it would be Johnston, but didn't he say basically this will happen? Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Um, it, it, Things it, are going to be different now. Things are going to be different. Um, he was on the, the, the plane to Mexico, um, the Scotland flight, and he was being asked by um, Chit Young, um, a, a, a Scottish um, media uh, personality, um, famous for another YouTube clip, as, as Walter Smith absolutely eviscerates him one, one morning um, when he, he dares to suggest that Brian Loudrop and Basil Bowley can't play in European football. But um, he's having a chat about you know, what, what, what the kind of future... Holes and I, Young had asked him about the the the, the, the Catholic question. He said, "Well, of course I will. My wife's a Catholic. My son's been raised a Catholic. How could I possibly go home?" And do the fans want a winning team or do they want uh, a sectarian team? Effectively, was was his quote. And he, so he he's up front. Um, David Holmes was asked when he paraded Chris Woods. What religion he was, and he, or Chris Woods was asking David Holmes come in immediately. Says that look, I don't care. He's over six foot tall. And he's a brilliant goalkeeper. That's all that matters at, at this club. Um, but fans kind of said, "Well, yes, he did say that. We've heard that before. Board members and managers have said that before. Um, possibly not. Um, and if if they do, it might be something a bit exotic, something from South America, perhaps." Um, and yeah, no one, absolutely no one could have guessed um, who it would be. It should be said that Rangers technically, as soon as did do it immediately, um, John Spencer, who was um, later, of course, of um, Chelsea fame, um, he was a youth player at Ibrox um, at the time. He's a Roman Catholic. And as soon as effectively made that deal a, you know, a proper permanent one uh, relatively quickly. But that, that obviously didn't count. It had to be a had to be what, what would be regarded as a proper transfer and um, it rumbled on for, for a few years. And he, he did try. Ray Houghton um, was, was, was one who soon as coveted quite a lot, um, but 
didn't just didn't want the hassle. And that that's that's the thing. It, it kind of worked. It worked both ways. It's worth for people who don't know just quickly running through the football. So he was there for like what, four and two thirds of a season, and in that time he wins yes. three leagues, two league cups. Is it three leagues, three league cups, um, and this is really tough. Actually, he doesn't get credited with that hmm. that title. I think three three quarters is is is, is not quite fair at all. He, Rangers yeah. were, were two points clear in the title. Uh, with four games to go, okay, he hands yeah, over. Enough. He hands over to to to, to Walter Smith, um, and it goes down to the the, the final day, of course. Um, so I always feel a wee bit sorry that he, that he never gets credited mm. with that that, that title because that's that's a yeah. fair amount of a season to to have yeah. kind of navigated and and and, and everything else. But um, uh, yeah, um, it was it was instant. The the the, the league title was instant. First in um, nine years. Um, the, the League Cup, which is what Rangers had, as I said, had um, kind of clung to through those the, those darker times in the, the, the early 80s. Um, you won that immediately. Um, and in Scotland, we, we tend to have a League Cup final, um, or we used to, um, the weekend that the clocks changed. So the, the, the final Sunday in October would be, or used to be our, our League Cup final. Um, and that was an old firm Cup final, and again, there's just a marker immediately um, that uh, again, this is this is good. This is going to happen. It was a tricky start. I think it's fair to say Rangers are still behind in the, the 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 league at that point, but but fans just believed. They 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 they, they just believed that this was this was this was going to happen. I'm just looking at your form after November in his first season. It's astonishing, isn't it? Mm. In the league, what is it? Yeah. So it's nine to eleven. So that's, I think it's 16 wins and three draws in 19. Is that yeah. right? Which and they, they, are the kind of they, runs we're used to now, but not then, I guess, in any league. No, no certainly not at Rangers. Um, yeah. <laughs> because the defence the defense had, had, had solidified and Chris Woods goes on this ridiculous run where he beats record after record. Um, and that 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 was the that, that was the, the, the foundation for that. Um Stopped, of course, by um, Hamilton Ackies um, <laughs> at, at, at Ibrox in the, the Scottish Cup. Adrian Scott, uh, where one yeah. of those games where you know you could have fifty chances and um, they, they, they don't go. But that's the game that Woods did beat the the clean sheet or the the shutout record for consecutive minutes, and then later he had no chance with with, a, with that goal. But um, yeah, well, Gre- Greavesy would have loved it that it was the Ackies who who eventually stopped the juggernauts. What what kind of football were they playing at that time? I mean, you've mentioned that it wasn't necessarily sort of a, a continental style of play, but YouTube uh, today and indeed the kind of clips we got on Football Focus and Saint and Greavesy uh, back in the day were were. You know, it's a it's a very distorting lens we were looking through because we we saw goalkeeper errors, we saw we saw defensive mistakes, we saw the kind of chaos um, that that still sort of comes to mind when I, I think of eighties football in domestic eighties football in Scotland. Um, it always seemed to be on the edge of a brawl with baying fans and so, uh, in the background, but that was very much a, a function of the editing and a function of the media that we got here. Um, there was no live Scottish matches. There was barely any 
any edits beyond the red cards and the goals. So what was the football like that Sunis uh, produced at Rangers through this kind of uh, beginnings of an all-star sort of 11, but also with, with many just solid pros there to supplement the stars? Well, as I as mentioned earlier, it was uh, a gear change. It was it was about possession. It was about um, being a, a, maybe a wee bit more compact and a wee bit more um, patient. And the fans would have to get, get used to that. <clears throat> um, but just passing, for example, which I think is quite underrated just because he's this blood-soaked warrior. Um, but his left foot was... It, 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 it it was precision, and the, the players used to. I think, I think they nicknamed the. the um, I can't remember the name of the gun, but it'd be basically named after a, a, a precision gun because it really would be. Um, it really would be that that accurate, and it was it was long passing rather than just hoofing the ball up the park aimlessly, um, and Cooper and Durant in particular, these guys obviously at different ends of their career. Um, a hint of tragedy in in in, in both of their um, careers and lives, obviously, um, but they start to flourish. I mean, genuinely flourish um, within that that structure. And I, I think as soon as, of course, he could use the ball and he could look after himself, and he kind of saw himself as that enforcer and just allowing, especially Durant um, and a, a young Derek Ferguson, Barry Ferguson's um, older brother, um, to um, to try and. Um, flourish. Um, so, I, I I can imagine what you what you got fed on. I, I, I remember Saint Greaves as, as a fixture of um, Saturday lunchtime yeah. um, viewing. We, we just got the red cards. Yeah, which Basically. which soonest didn't. Um, <laughs> well, he, he, well, he, he got two. I mean, he, you know, the, the the book ended the season. Obviously, um, his, his first his first game, um, and the the the. the the day that the Rangers finally won that title up at Pataudry. The, the one at Pataudry was worse. I mean, that's three goals he has um, on, the, on the same player. And this is in the, the, the first half an hour. Um, and the one that he finally gets this, the, the, the red for, he's he's two foot off the ground. He's, he's basically horizontal um, in midair. Um, it's horrendous <laughs> it was a horrendous tackle um but it was certainly the the the, the, the first game uh, easter road it was we are not being punched around anymore and that, that there was i think only alan ruff the, the hibs goalkeeper was the only person not involved in, in that melee and the the, the the center circle and um he knew that, that everyone kind of rallying behind them said right this this team is this team's ready to go and it's that that liverpool thing um program to play but prepared to fight the, the, oh, I was just sorry, Rob. Yeah, just go, on, go, the, go. on the red cards because I wanted to mention this. Um, the red cards are the reddest of red, even by mid '80s standards. Certainly, the ones we we saw here, and I, I couldn't help. Uh, again, this is perhaps a little bias from someone who whose team suffered at the hands of Sunes when he was playing for Liverpool. I couldn't help finding them quite funny, um, which I now know not to be the case, because so often after he's committed these appalling fouls, Sunas kind of jumps up, looks at the referee in indignation, and is pointing at his calf, saying, he hit me first, ref, he hit me oh, first. Yeah. Of course, what we didn't... Well, that's the Stoyer one, isn't it? Yeah. Stoyer, well, which, which wasn't a... 
which wasn't a red card. Yeah, a card. No, yeah. but it, it, it also it's also in the in the Hibs game. He he does it he does it in, in that as well. What we perhaps well well we definitely didn't know. Um, and you're probably going to say it was the other leg now, but it was a chronic calf injury that was to finish his career, and so he was. There was more than just the, the playground bully screaming to the teacher that he hit me first here. Um, there was, I think, that that raging against the dying of the light, which so many players, especially those who are enormous personalities, have difficulty dealing with. And you know, you can you can almost see it in his eyes as he's as he's walking off. Um, he he's he's wondering about the person he is, the player he is, and the and the person he's going to become. And one can overread kind of existential crises into the the, the dog days of, of players' career, but, but careers, but it was probably more evident in, in Sunus um, than it was in, in others. And it was a, a kind of long goodbye that, that there wasn't a, a kind of, you know, Kenny Dalglish sort of sitting in the Chelsea dressing room with the double saying, you know, I'm not playing anymore. Um, so what what was, as so often the case, what what appeared to be comic turned its face to become tragic when I knew more context. I I I would agree. I certainly in his second season, he, he gets sent off early in eighty seven eighty eight um, uh, at Parkhead. Um, again, wild, and I think that's at the time where this guy, this guy's entire. Um, public profile identity is as an international top-level footballer and it's coming to an end as they all do. And I think you're absolutely right, Gary. He, he's very much struggling with that. I think the first season that, that there is, uh, it's only maybe a wee bit more prosaic. He is He does have a target on his back without question and he feels a need to absolutely reassert um, this team's um, uh, status, um, and he's, he's he's just slower. I mean, he, he just is slower than he he, he once was. Um, uh, he would always point to the fact he never sent off in his career until he he he, he came back up the road. Um, but he's, he's he is just that 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 little yard that little yard off, and that that must lead to frustration. But the. the the two in 86, 87, they are bookends because throughout that season, he powers Rangers on in a in a kind of positive way. He, he's scoring goals, big goals. He, there's a the, the the famous old firm game as always in any seasons is the New Year game, um, and he the, the Archie McPherson waxing lyrical. So he's not seen this since Baxter. Really, um, someone just taking their time, taking the piss, really. But I think it's it's Mo Johnson, and Brian McClear are. are or maybe Alan McAnally, I can't remember, who are close, but it's almost like they're beyond a, a force field. They can't really get near me. Just as this aura pulling strings. Um, so it wasn't all that kind of blood and thunder, but certainly in that, that second season, I think he realises, listen, no, I, I I need to become a manager now and I need to actually focus on this because it's it's bloody hard to do to do too. How did they get on in Europe? And the well, this is the big this is the big thing. Um First year they, they they got to which probably be the uh, maybe the last sixteen last thirty two uh, the the one in December the round in December before everything kind of closed until the the, the spring, um, 
where they went out to Borussia Mönchengladbach on away goals. It was 1-1 at Ibrox. Um, and then 0-0 in Germany, where Rangers got two men sent off, David Cooper being one. And oh, but The most ridiculous, David Cooper got sent off, I think, for swearing. Um, huh. Stuart Monroe, yeah, it was, Butcher was in tears after that game because it was just it, it, ridiculous, um, some ridiculous decisions. And it was just one of those, those those games. I think it turned out well in the end. I think um, it could concentrate on on domestic um, trouble. But but if they have they had good through, it's winnable, isn't it? Well, Victoria, Bimarash, Dundee United, Dundee United, then Gothenburg. Yeah, so it's 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 definitely there. The, the, the European Cup was obviously it, it's synonymous with Graham Sinners. He he holds it. He he. he he is it, and in the the, the the minds of so many fans, um, by by eighty seven. So for Rangers to be back in that tournament, uh, huge excitement, and then the draws made, and it's Dynamo Kiev first round, and this crushing sense of deflation that ah, oh, so all, all of that, all of that hope, um, kind of extinguished. But um, a one 0 defeat in in Kiev, um, and then. He watches uh, Dynamo train on the Tuesday night um, at Ibrox, and they, they use the width quite well, don't they? They spray that ball out quite a lot, um, and everybody turns up. No one knew this apart from from him and the groundsman, but everyone turns up to Ibrox on the Wednesday and think the pitch is a bit different. <laughs> this doesn't quite seem right, and he he brought it in and gave what absolutely furious. Um, the man, the, the kind of general manager, um, demanded that the UEFA go in. Um, get the measuring tape out after the game, um, and it was right, right on the line. Um, but it was a famous night. Rangers went two 0 uh, and it was stressing how good this team was. I mean, this oh is, my god! Spine of that team gets to the final of Euro eighty eight. Euro eighty eight. Yeah. I mean, it's a serious it, win. That yeah, yeah. No, it it, it, it was. Um, I think Katowice come next, but then Stoya, Stoya Bucharest in uh, the quarterfinals uh, is where that ended. Um, and How were they seen at the time? Because obviously we know now they're players like Lakatusha. Well, Hadji was there, wasn't he? Hadji, a young Hadji was there. Yeah. Um, like a, uh, crack European the, teams. Crack European, crack Eastern, Eastern European, European outfit. Yeah. And this is and mysterious. This is like the third or fourth time in a, in a row that Rangers have been drawn behind the wall. Um, so it, it, it was seen as difficult, and as soon as it kind of created the situation by selling strikers and basically relying on McCoyce as the only striker and then McCoy's hamstring or well, his knee. Um, he needed surgery in his, his knee. Um, keyhole surgery, which was revolutionary at the time. Um, and he, he was rushed back and he was just it was just no 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 way fit to to to, to really kind of do do the job. So yeah, the Kiev, uh, sorry, the, the Bucharest game was where that ended. And then the Again, others... Uh, it's not unwinnable, sorry. is it? Sorry to interrupt. Benfica semis, PSV Eindhoven in the final, which as uh, you said before, was a dog of a game that went to penalties. PSV won one of the last five, is that right? 92, yeah. PSV for, for the quarterfinals on did not win a, a 90 minute. <laughs> Fantastic. And the one won the European Cup. So uh, 92, 93 is, is in my generation's time. Yeah. The, the big chance. But... I think that that the Rangers were not getting past Milan. I don't think in any case, but um, even if Marseille had behaved themselves, but they the that eighty seven eighty eight was a a, a a real bite. He thought he had got Hately in the summer of eighty seven, 
he, he genuinely thought he had got him and then he chose Monaco instead of Govan, weirdly. Um, and that, 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 that kind of uh, worked out eventually. But, but if he had, I, I do wonder about that. That that season's campaign, you know, because um, that's clearly the the the, the play had. The other ones, um, Cologne knock us out. Bayern Munich then eviscerate Rangers um, in the first round of the European Cup again, and then Red Star Belgrade really, really do a job. Um, and that's that's when he knows it's up for him. He he he, he will make the argument. And I think it's fair that he, he was never eliminated by a bad side. There was never any. Disaster! They never shock nonsense comedy result, um, but but Sunis makes the point, and I think it's a fair one in in, in eighty nine after the Bayern game. Uh, well, he makes a couple of points. Um, one: How do I do this? How do I prepare a team that can be physically able to withstand the, the pressure every week in Scotland? And then I say to them in a Wednesday night, right? But you need to look after the ball a lot more, you need to be a lot more compact um, in order to deal with with, with Bayern Munich. Um, David Murray at the time says, this is the first round, it, 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 surely it doesn't need to be like this. Surely there's another way of doing European football where you can you can have more guaranteed games and that's where the ball starts running or starts rolling for the creation of the Champions League because Campbell over the club secretary at the time, goes away and drafts these proposals goes to UEFA, they get sent back and puts them into six different languages, they get accepted and it gets tried and, and, and away we go. Um, but Sunis understands the problem but doesn't push through with it. He replaces um, uh, Ray Wilkins who leaves, um, he goes back down to, to, to London. He could have replaced them, we tried to replace him with John Collins but he wouldn't come because of the, the, the hassle. Um, and he could have moved Trevor Stephen into the middle of the park, but he brings in Nigel Spackman. Now, I, was, I love Nigel Spackman. He again, he, he, he pushed Rangers onto titles. But Sunis understands the problem, but I think he bottled it from from the, the solution. And the Belgrade hammering um, underlined the point that that the UEFA legislation uh, that was really it was just about to, to click in because UEFA gave everyone a three-year grace period um, where any foreign players they had at the start of 8089 became, or the end of 8078, sorry, became naturalised for, for three years. But as of 91, 92, that was going to end. And soon as needed a team of five, six, seven non-Scots and that, that, that clearly couldn't be, couldn't be the case for for too much longer, so um, yeah, it, it, all right, but probably could have been better. Sorry, Gary. Uh, well, you you mentioned David Murray there, and there'll be listeners who are younger than us, and indeed who are not steeped in the folklore of uh, Scottish football, who won't know who he is. But for a good sort of five to ten years, he was possibly the most famous football administrator in in the United Kingdom. Just say a, a few words about him. Murray, he hadn't come from, from nothing, but he, he, nor had he come from um, uh, an immensely wealthy family, but he had created his, his, um, his, his money in steel. Um, was keen to get into football. Um, soonest when he, he stayed in Edinburgh, stayed in his hotel, the hotel that he owned. So they became friends and they'd go to dinner every Friday night. And Murray would say, oh, I'd quite like to, to get in. He wanted to buy Air United, which is from the, the town that, that he came from. And as soon as that, that 
deal didn't happen. But as soon as it's, if you're going to do it, do it right. I've got a feeling that Lawrence Marlborough, who was the, the, the um, major shareholder, I've got a feeling he wants out. I've got a feeling that this this could happen, and and so so Sunus and Murray uh, were, were were very much in um, in cahoots right at the time that that that, that Murray um, bought the club in November of of, of nineteen eighty eight. Sunus was a director. Graham Sunus put north of six hundred thousand pounds into the club. So at the, at the time, he was player, manager, and director. Um, so again, just to build that that kind of caricature of the Golden Gecko, um, you know lunches for wimps um you only need four hours sleep and all, and all that kind of thing he was doing everything but murray was very he was young and he was ambitious and he, he fitted the time he fitted the, the 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 upwardly mobile character of rangers at that time and he saw in berlusconi and bernard tapi um that the, the the owner chairman becoming as um famous as some of the players and i think he he liked that and he wanted to, to drive um Rangers on and, and very much um, that way and, and mix with these guys and, and very much be a, a part of that. Um, but but they were, I think, very very similar. They they saw themselves as south east of England rather than west of Scotland. Come on then, let's talk about Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, um, th- this is one of one of the most interesting parts of uh, writing th- th- this this book and this. Not the fact that Sunus was a Thatcherite and so was Murray and their their ways of doing it um, were very much in keeping with what was happening in the country. I'll say the country further south, I think, than than, than Glasgow. That's that's kind of been done to death. And, and he was he was an avowed Thatcherite. He didn't didn't hide that. Um, he was very abrasive, um, very ambitious. Um, um, his works in the, the work in the market um, was very much um, free, shall we say, um, and it was more tradition. I don't care. Pay pay caps, salary caps. Don't care. Alan McCoyce, when 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 Sunis came in, was probably earning around three hundred and fifty pounds a week, and the reserves would not have been on much less than that. So it was a very tight, tightly knit kind of um, pay structure, as I think was was common um, in, in a lot of clubs. And Sunus obviously ripped that up. You get what you pay for. You need to be ambitious. with speculation to accumulate. Um, um, clearly, something we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, that means everything to you, does it? This, 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 this deep sense of community that's been there for 100 years? Don't care. It's it's a, an obstacle to progress. I will rip it up. So he's very much in, 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 in that vein clashing with the media, clashing with the authorities. Um, uh, so the, the, the similarities, are, I think, are pretty clear. What I found fascinating was how that was absorbed and how that was um, taken on by the support, many of whom were absolutely not Thatcherite. This is, this is Govan. This is the old Red Clyde side. This is... Um, you know, demonstration after demonstration about that bloody woman. Um, and yet here are her policies or policies that, that I'm sure she would have been um, in support of bringing about this much wanted success to a, a support that were, that were starved of it. So this tension, this juxtaposition, I've found fascinating. You go to, back to the, the fanzine culture which just started the the, the the biggest Rangers fanzine the first issue was in uh, David 
David Cooper's testimony, August 1988. So two two years after Sunnis' arrival. And you're getting a lot of um concerns about the Camel Coat Brigade, these these guys who are coming back to the game now and, and um buying boxes and, and they're, they're going to price us out of tickets and season ticket holders are elitist and they're not the same as the the the, the, the boys who would you know basically turn up and, and pay at the gate. Um, so you're getting a lot of a lot of this. Um and, and people being genuinely, genuinely um conflicted that all of this success is coming, but by um, and I'm, I'm quoting verbatim one of the fans, Thatcherite Spivs and and and, and Sunnis and, and Murray. These 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 guys are not. There's no. Some people find it very difficult to love, um, and I, I believe the same in Liverpool. Liked, of course, but not adored like Douglas was, for example. And this, I found that tension absolutely fascinating, and I think it's a, a nice little window into the 1980s, actually with the perspective that we have now, that I think to get a sense of, a real sense of, of, of history personally, I would focus less on what people say and how they publicly identify themselves and what marches they go on um, and what flags and banners they wave and how they live and how they spend their money and how they're enjoying their lifestyle. And I think that's far more indicative. And I think the, 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 the same is true of, of the Rangers support in this little um, microcosm. Things were changing and people were enjoying the spoils of that Thatcherite free market capitalist mentality. But the, the tension and the um, that rub was was absolutely there because um, it, it didn't sit easy with a lot of uh, a lot of people. But it was um, I found that 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 little moment in time. In Glasgow, very interesting. And when Sunnis arrives, the, the Evening Times has this cartoon, this this kind of caricature of him, um, with the Gucci suit and the um, uh, an A to Z of Scottish football grounds and, and just money coming out of his um, his, his suitcase and and I love me. Um, badge um, on his on his on his breast, brute aftershave, which must have been the height of cosmopolitan um, cologne in in nineteen eighty six. But it was very much he might be the Scotland captain, but he's not really. He's someone else. He's something else. He's from over there. He's from down there, and it is something something very different. This is not a. I mean, he wasn't a Glasgow man at all. Of course, he was from um, from from Edinburgh, but. Um, yeah, there was something of the other about that. And who is this guy who clearly has all the self-confidence and arrogance and swagger and money? Sunas had, had said in a, a documentary, um, he's a professional footballer who plays plays for money. That's why I never played in Scotland, because I could earn I could earn it elsewhere. Very upfront about that. And that that tension, I think, is as I said, is it is well, it was very interesting to me anyway. The what was happening, and you, you felt this, I felt it in coming from Liverpool, but by the mid to late 80s being very much established in in London, is it wasn't like in 79 to 81 where there was mass unemployment, the, the, the minor strike in 84. Um, it, it, it became much more difficult to portray the government as failing um, it was easy to portray them as 
as rapacious capitalists, mm, yeah. free marketeers. But it's it was hard. Spread. Yeah. But it was hard to see that it was failing because for a vast number of people, it was succeeding. People had council houses, people had foreign holidays. You've got Wham on top of the pops doing Club Tropicana. Um, the shops were full. Um, the consumer society, the, the society that many people in all, at all levels of, of uh, UK uh, socioeconomic groups had looked longingly towards the United States in their post-war recovery period where there was fridges and there were cars and all of this. And really, for one of the, the first times, um, the progress towards that that consumer society, which, you know, has, has plenty of, of emptiness in it and there's, you know, devastating critiques uh, of it still to this day um but it was there and so the 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 thatcherites the 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 gucci suits and the 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 flash harrys they were winning and the, the trouble was you could see that it was seductive you you could see that there was that there was something in it the the early 90s crash was was yet to come and so we were we were all even even people like myself and i was i was working at the heart of it in in retail where you know inflation was low and sales were up you know it was cigars all around every every monday morning when the figures came in for those of us who instinctively were of the left who instinctively were sort of still listening to the clashes lost in the supermarket and thinking, well, aren't you people lost in the supermarket? But no, they were loving it in the supermarket. They were loving it on the high streets. They were loving it in the shiny new mouths. And that inevitably filtered into broader culture. And the the, the Flash Harrys were living high on the hog. And certainly Sooners embraced that. There was Ron Atkinson, of course, at uh, at uh, Manchester United, and there was the likes of Irving Scholar, I think, who was at that time at, at the top. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and the the kind of the kind of we were we tried to be cynical, but we didn't have the evidence then in the late eighties, and we kind of had to zip it a little bit because you know if I'm sitting there drinking Beaujolais Nouveau the day it comes out um, in November, how can how can I criticise the others who are around the table because I I'm one of them. Uh, that's how it felt a little in the late eighties. I promise you. They, they just uh, they, a lot of the, the support feared that they were, they were going to be priced out of the game. Now, ultimately, um, a lot of them, of course, were certainly um, down south. That's the case. Um, but that that's that that's where a lot of that and, and again that self interest. The guys who when Rangers attendances were t- dreadful, and you could get a ticket for any game, and they would go in this kind of gallows humour on on the bus to to Aberdeen for another shellacking, um, but you could get a ticket no problem. And all of a sudden, um, I might not get a ticket for the cup final against Celtic because the 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 the, the kind of more middle class. Um, Business lads are, are are now back. We 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 were they when we were shit kind of thing, um and and that that's that's that, that tension that, that kind of runs through. But it's undoubtedly obviously producing so much success, and it's a it's a difficult one. It's still a difficult one for football fans now. It's just in a very different way with foreign ownership, more dubious foreign ownership. Um, you can have a moral position on that. Start buying brilliant players. That that moral position is 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 sorely tested and that that's it was just a, another kind of 
um, or an earlier incarnation of that, which would be tested at its limits, obviously, on 10th of July, 1989. <laughs> nice segue. I was just going to ask you about that. Um, what, I guess what a lot of people weren't about Morris Johnson signing for Rangers is all the kind of stuff that went on beforehand in terms of his contract and everything. Do you want to talk about that for a bit? Okay, the Morris Johnston saga. Uh, hmm. I'll try and keep this uh, within the hour. Um, Morris Johnson in the last week of the league season, 80-89, was paraded at Parkhead by Billy McNeil, Celtic manager at the time, as their new signing for the next season. Um, Johnson had been a Celtic player. He had left two years before in the summer of 1987. That was at the end of Sunnis' first um, year, title winning year. And he'd left with quite a few big name players. Brian McClare, of course, went to Manchester United. Um, Alan McAnally and Murdo McLeod also left. But Johnson left under a bit of a cloud. He refused to sign a new deal. Um, fans were booing him uh, at, at Parkhead at the end of that season because of that. So it was it was not a, a fond farewell, best of luck um, as, he, as he departed. Now, he was a good player. Uh, he went to Nantes uh, in France and became, I think, a very good player. A modern rounded forward, not the kind of penalty box poacher, but just a, a genuine kind of footballer. Mm. And at this time in May 1989, Scotland are all but qualified for Italian 90 because yeah, mainly of Johnson. Yeah. Um, they beat France at Hamden and Johnson's absolutely superb in a 2-0 win, uh, but it's the strike partnership between him and McCoy's that, that's outstanding. And the, the one journalist, I think it was Chick Young at the time, um, had noted, imagine those two playing in the same club team, which was fanciful, of course. So Celtic are parading him. Um, they have agreed a deal with Nantes, so the fee's been agreed. Haven't signed him yet because there are some personal terms still to be done. I'm sure that's no problem. It will be all sorted out. Um, Johnson's asked why he want to come back to the UK from a family um, and Celtic, the only club I wanted to play for. A quote that would be um, used time and time and time again uh, in years that fall. On the Saturday, Celtic go to Love Street Paisley to play St Mum. Johnson is on the team bus. He sits in the director's box. Uh, again, this is just a matter of time. On the same day, Rangers are at home to Aberdeen to collect the Premier League um, trophy. They'd won it uh, a few weeks before. Aberdeen batter Rangers 3-0, um, but it's it, it just uh, a kind of formality, I suppose, uh, at the end of that season. Um, at Ibrox that day is Johnson's agent, a man called Bill McMurdo, who I think pretty mildly is a big Rangers man. He is kicking about outside the Blue Room uh, at a radiator, I think, uh, as, as Graham Soonis comes out. And he says, Bill, if we'd known, we'd have been interested. What do you mean? Said Johnson. If, if, if we'd known he was available, we we think we'd have um, we'd have wanted him. And he, I think he actually pulled him close to him to say, "Look, this isn't done yet. In fact, it's it's far from done. The, the, the personal terms are not not quite agreed." Now, Celtic had a reputation at that time, or were were about to get a reputation at that time for being quite cheap, biscuit tin mentality. Don't want to overpay for anything. Um, the ground very much in a dilapidated state. Um, so that, quite what those personal terms were is still a matter of, of conjecture, but they, they weren't agreed, they weren't in place. Um, and Bill said, are you serious? I said, well, and soon as said, well, yeah, I also have to check it with a few people here, and McMurdo would also have to check it with the player himself. Um, soon as went to Smith, and I think once he picked Smith up off the floor, um, that actually was was agreed quite quickly. Smith said, no, it, it has to be done. Um, be a lot of hassle and a lot of uh, a bit of a circus around it, but but it is a player that that, that, that we would 
really want to, to, to have. Murray took a wee bit more convincing. Murray needed the night. He needed the night to sleep on it. But I think the next morning, I phoned Sunnis to say, yeah, let's do it. Sunnis and McMurdo spoke. McMurdo confirmed that Johnson was up for it, and, and away we went. Um, later that week, they met in a cafe in a, a, a place called Orly in South Paris. Um, and that's where... It was all, I was going to say thrashed out like a, a, a proper tabloid journalist there. Um, but it was it was agreed and the, the personal terms of the and protection. Here's what the club is going to give you. You're going to live in Edinburgh, away from the Glasgow Goldfish Bowl. Um, and the, the, the protection, your minders, um, this is this is what it's going to look like. So all done. Um, that week's important because at the end of that week. Um, it's a Scottish Cup final. Rangers playing Celtic. Rangers going for a treble. Celtic desperate to stop them. You may ask why Celtic were parading a signing that they hadn't yet got over the line. Probably with that in mind, Rangers had won the league. They'd beaten Celtic 5-1. They'd beaten Celtic 4-1. They'd finally ended a 10-year, um, or nearly 10-year, um, period without a win at Parkhead. And this was a this was a fillet. This is something they could really um, push back. Johnson's coming back, and the fans loved it. Celtic fans chanted his name all throughout the game. Uh, so did Rangers fans, just not quite in the same way. And Campbell Ogilvy, uh, the, the, the secretary, and, and David Murray were up in the stands at Hamden, thinking, "Hmm, is this this really worth the worth the the, the hassle?" Um, Celtic won the cup. Uh, Joe Miller goal before half time from a terrible Gary Stevens back pass. I think one of the only two mistakes he made all season. Sunis was furious. Um, chucked his uh, runners-up medal in the bath. He could probably blame himself. He's quite self-indulgent. He had himself on the bench. He came on. He thought Rangers would just turn up, to be honest, and, and, and lord it and, and, and win the treble in the sun. Um, chucked the medal in the bath and said something along the lines of, they might be smiling now, but what we've got planned, they won't be smiling for an awful long time. Players heard it. Andy Gray, Alan McCoy speak about it and shrugged their shoulders and said, well, that's... Just Graham being Graham. Um, it's been a long season. It's done. Well, let's let's kind of get up the road. Okay. And it's about this time, after the cup final, that the messaging in the press through McMurdo is, mm, this deal's not quite done. This deal's falling apart. And then Johnson later that week saying, really sorry. I have to walk away from this now. What a shame. Wanted to come back, but such is life. That week, yeah. the Scotland squad are down in, I think it's Turnbury. Tumbria Troon, uh, one of the golf resorts in, in the Irish Coast, preparing for another trip to Hamden to face England in the, the Rouse Cup on the Saturday. Mm. And Bill McNeil is now losing the place. Um, furious. <laughs> barges in to the Scotland Hotel, demands to speak to him. Now, Johnson rooms with McCoist. They have done for years. And he's trying to drop the biggest hints possible. Oh, isn't Graham Soonis' apartment in Edinburgh really... Nice, isn't David Murray's offices in Edinburgh? <laughs> and McCoy is like, How would you know? Why are you telling me this? And he has to spell it out, Ali. I'm, I'm coming to Rangers. McCoy says he put his head under his pillow and just screamed. Such was the shock um, and um, uh, surprise and, and just incomprehension of what was about to happen. Johnson <laughs> summoned downstairs. He's on the phone, a mobile phone to Sunnis on his way down, basically saying, McNeil's here. I don't know what they spoke about, but presumably it was. Don't worry about it. It'll be cool. McNeil Lumbassum. Um, I'll make sure you never play football again. Um, that 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 kind of that kind of thing. And Johnson's very sheepish. He's a Celtic supporter. He's a Celtic legend. Giving him a dressing down. He knows what he's done. Only he knows what he's about to do. McNeil doesn't. Um, and 
there's there's this this kind of fury. Scotland play England. England win two 0 Steve Bull with a couple of goals. Um, but Johnson's up against an England defence with Terry Butcher, Gary Stevens, and Chris Woods. Now this is on the Saturday, the night of the day after the famous Anfield yeah. night where we're Arsenal won the title. Um, and Johnson's and Terry Butcher's here saying, "I'm going to be playing with you next season." And Butcher's like, "Yeah, I know." Um, I'll look forward to kicking you thinking, yes, he's coming back to play for Celtic. I said, no, I'm coming back to play with you next season. And Butcher's like, what's he talking about? I just, just <laughs> striker trying to get in my head. Uh, we'll put it to one side. So even when it's laid out, players just cannot believe it. So the the, the, the deal's kind of off, but Celtic are, are threatening legal action. McMurdo's threatening legal action under freedom of movement. Um, Hamden again, provides a bit of a, uh, a setting for what happens next because Scotland play host to the under-16 World Cup, um, worthy of a pod in itself probably at one point, um, and set Blatter's there, I think maybe Deputy Secretary or, or whatever of FIFA at the time. Um, and he's asked to come in and say, basically give an opinion on who owns this player. And he says, well, well, as long as Celtic pay up, they pay the deposit, as long as they pay up the rest of the, the, the fee, they hold the registration. They have something in place which is a kind of commitment to sign. Obviously, they still have to do a deal with the player in order to him to be an employee, but they they hold the player. No other club can buy this player. And McNeil is desperate for that control. He pleads with the Celtic board, pay up to not. We hold the registration and then we'll sell them on. And the Celtic board, I think, understandably say, who's going to pay exactly the same amount or, or more for a player who want, doesn't want to be here, who's clearly a troublemaker, like we were not going to make our, our money back in there. This is this is too too much of a risk. McNeil still pleads. He goes away to Florida on holiday, and Celtic directors cut it. They they extricate themselves from the deal. And the reaction in the Scottish press is favourable. Celtic have done the right thing. Not bowing to player power. This is a very tawdry episode. Um, and all's well. Um, he'll probably go back to to England and and, and play in the first division. Um, fast forward to the weekend, I think, of, of 8th and 9th of July. Um, again, not a hint, not a slightest indication that Morris Johnson could possibly be signing for Rangers, um, but his future is not secure anywhere else. Rangers uh, due to fly to Italy, to Tuscany, to their Il Choco training base. So they fly from Glasgow to Heathrow, and then they're in a room, a kind of boarding gate, private boarding gate, I presume, for, for, for um, a squad plane. And soon as gathers them all together and says, I'm not coming to Italy. I'm going back up the road um, to deal with the signing. You're going to go, um, but I, I'll join you later. That signing will be Morris Johnson. We'll arrive on Monday. Um, if you've got a problem, you can speak to Walter. He basically just leaves Walter Smith to deal with the utter mayhem in the Rangers, <laughs> especially from players like, like David Cooper, Ian Ferguson, um, about what on earth is, 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 is happening. 10th of July. On the Monday, he has Johnston and Bill McMurdo in Ibrox at 5am, hiding in the toilets, just so that there's not a hint of this transpiring. Um, Doddy Suter, the old club kit man, is in taking a pee at the urinals. They're hiding in a cubicle somewhere. So what's going on today? He's got a wee pal with them. So, oh, Rangers got a, a new sign. So who is it? So I don't know, as long as it's not that fucking bastard Johnson or something along those lines. <laughs> um, eventually, he's obviously wheeled out to shock and awe. Um, it's commonplace, guys. I'm sure we're aware or so familiar with players, you know, waving the, the the scarf or in the new top, and managers can you know, arm around them for for photos. But I'd urge anyone to go and look at the 
the, the press conference, any clips from the press conference, even any stills from the press conference, how much Johnson leans into Sunnis as if, wow, this is actually happening, just getting that 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 kind of protection. Um, they disappear in a helicopter to straight to Italy, um, and uh, there's a big table. Uh, for dinner, just arrived just in time for, for for the squad dinner. Huge long table for the squad and a, a single table in the corner with bread and water for for for, for Johnson, um, and that, that's his welcome um, to to the team. So that's kind of how it all transpired, and the sensation was was of course massive. Um, you've got people vowing never to come back. Um, people proudly showing their season ticket for that year untouched. No, no. Um, strips taken out of it. Um, some guy, I think, they did, laid a wreath at the club at the death of the club, and bur- people burning their scarves. I think probably put up to it by by the, the, the tabloids up here. Um, mm. But there, there was this, yeah, a, a, a incredible sense of of, of sensation um, about the religious the, the religious mm. issue. Um, Brian Wilson, MP, a Labour MP, Celtic fan, Celtic author, um, furious. In his uh, uh, t- TV interview that day, as Celtic fans were absolutely devastated, they'd been saying for years, "Your Rangers are a disgrace." Haven't signed a Catholic, and it was very much the joke in Scotland. Oh, not not that one though. Um, another one, please. Um, but he <laughs> said, "Hopefully, this goes a long way to ending sectarianism in Scotland. This improves Scottish life. That this this barrier has has been broken." And that's been the question, I guess, that's been asked since. Did did the signing of Morris Johnson end? Or help to improve um, those kind of religious um, tensions in Scottish life. I would argue that's the other way around. I think the only reason that Johnson could sign is because those tensions had mm. melted. Uh, if Rangers had tried a similar signing in 1959, a player that was so outspoken, had written in his autobiography, <laughs> who hated Rangers, or any kind of Roman Catholic in 1959, there would have mm. genuinely been unrest and riot yeah. and boycotts because religion was a huge part of people's lives. It was a mm. part of their identity. It was really important. Church was an important part of people's week. Um, that's not the case in 1989. You've got mm. better employment legislation and better employment practices and you have mixed marriages. Johnson was a, a part of that, uh, of a mixed marriage. His dad was a Protestant but, uh, and his dad in fact was assaulted on his his, his debut back in Scotland for, for, for Rangers by Celtic supporters um, so it, he knew what he was getting into, he knew the risks players' cars had to be checked for bombs uh, or, or any kind of devices coming into the the, 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 the ground um, and he could have taken the easy option come back as the prodigal son to Parkhead um, but I think the real story about this was was a modern one, it was a one about professionalism, that he mm. took on that risk because he could Win more medals and earn more money, and and that 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 bypassed anything else. All this stuff is is, is kind of old hat. Mm. Uh, but the sectarianism industry in Scotland <laughs> was born there in academia and in, in media and in, in politics um, as they they try to kind of whip up those those flames a wee bit Th- flames that had been real before mm. and maybe a wee bit neglected in, in those those sectors of Scottish society. But then maybe, oh, actually there's, there's, there's maybe research grants in this. And um, I think maybe just making making something that, that, that maybe wasn't quite quite there. Mm. And Celtic had never had an issue signing Protestants, had they? Well, this is the big, I mean, we could do a pod on this. Uh, this, this <laughs> but this is the big um, irony, I suppose, is Rangers, the club that was set up by four teenagers wanting to know why 
they didn't have a football team and this, this association football craze was 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 going around, ended up with this quite clear um policy towards signing players. Um and Celtic, the club that was set up for religious reasons, there's a debate of it whether it was I don't I don't think it is a debate. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. You can be both set up as a charity to provide a, a focal point for um young Catholic men, um, but also as a kind of protective proselytization because Catholic men were going to Protestant soup kitchens, the Salvation Army or whatever kind of mission, and converting. And well, we can't have that. We, we need to, you know, keep them within the flock. Nothing unusual about that. That's 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 the history of Christianity, really. Um, so set up for those reasons, but for you know, pretty much their entire existence, did not have an issue fielding Protestant players. I think there was uh a decision to be taken very early on um, at Celtic. Should we have an all Catholic team, and that that was voted down, and they've made a certainly a, an ecumenical play on that um, ever since. But it, there's a lot more pragmatism to that. I don't think they could flourish with such a small section of society from which to choose. They needed to open up, and of course, some of the most legendary figures: Jockstein, Kenny Dalglish, um, Rangers families. Range, you know, Douglas was a Rangers fanatic. Um, have 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 come through the gate, so they they have made a a lot out of that. Interestingly, the players were um from from various different faiths. Not so much in the board. Uh, by the time mm-hmm. Rangers signed Johnson, Celtic had never had a product on on the boards, and most famously, Jock Steen's post managerial um award was to run the pools. He he. he, he mm-hmm. A director, um, but Rangers, it should be should be mentioned, had Roman Catholic players at the outset. It became an issue in the interwar years after the First World War, when the politics of Ireland are starting to 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 really be a a, a, a live issue in, in in Scottish life, British life. Mm. Uh, that the press, because Celtic were very successful early, mm. um, and the press were basically saying, "Who's going to be who's going to be our team? Our being the, the indigenous Scottish working class." Mm. Uh, and Rangers very much took up that mantle under under Bill's truth. There were Catholics that played for them after the war, but it was kind of unknowingly the likes of um, Don Kitchebrand, the South African player, who they, they just didn't know was a, a Roman Catholic, and when they found out his, his time at Ibrox was, was kind of cut short. Um, so the Rangers' response then, the Rangers' kind of quasi-justification for a policy mm-hmm. that was increasingly illegal uh, and discriminatory yeah. was, well, we, we could... We could sign a Roman Catholic, could sign four. Are they really going to bleed blue? Are they really going to try yeah. for Rangers? Which, and I think one of my frustrations, um, Rangers fans, anyway, and the club to a certain extent seem to venerate effort more than finding a pass. Yeah, and this, this thing about um, trying hard is, is a huge deal here, it certainly was. And they're like, well, this it won't work. And there's not a queue, there's not a queue of Roman Catholics wanting to play for Rangers. So, um, is this really is this really worth all the hassle? And that's what many saw in the Johnson say, especially Johnson, having spat in the club's badge and 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 been such a um an antagonistic Celtic player. How is this possible? But he gave everything for Rangers in those first two years. And again, mm. that's my takeaway that this is professionalism. It's nothing yeah. to do with with this the the origin story of these clubs and, and how it's developed. Where can I win and how much can I earn? And yeah. that, that's the real kind of takeaway from that that whole saga. It was a huge signing. Celtic, they, they didn't go over it. They were on the precipice anyway as a club. Johnson scored like the winner at Ibrox in, in the November 
um, after being horrendous at Parkhead in the um, opening game. Um, five minutes to go, 1-0. Um, and I think Celtic won three games from <laughs> a, a huge stretch of games that, that followed that and didn't win a, a trophy again for, for another six. Went in the title again for nearly another decade. Uh, it was a huge... Um, just from purely footballing terms, because this is what the old firm are never allowed to have. They're never allowed to just have football rivalry. It has to be some kind of reenactment of the Reformation, um, where it it happens, right? It happens when a, a player moves to a club that he really shouldn't, and the the other club can't can't deal with it, can't get over it, can't can't live with it for for, for a long time. And that there's there's a lot of football um, implications here as well, but they make less news. And then. Johnson's second season towards the end, Sooness starts to get itchy feet. Itchy feet, yeah. Um, is, that fair? is that fair? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. He's, he's, Sooness, to go back to the Thatcherism thing, is he would start to fight in the empty room. We, we know that. He's, he's, he, that that's, his, that's his nature. He has constantly been hauled to Park Gardens, which was the SFA's headquarters um, <laughs> for on, on disciplinary charges. Um, at a stage, Rob, where if he had erred again, he may have been banned for years, banned from the touchline for years. Really? That's how draconian that, that it was wow. it was getting. Um the very unlikely source of George Galloway MP who would let's say <laughs> not, not not a Rangers fan and put a motion in Parliament. This was this was just this was a nonsense the, the way that, that the SFA were, were were kind of behaving. Um so he's fighting all the time. He's fighting the Rangers support all the time because he brings in Mark Cately. McCoyce and Johnson were brilliant. He brings in Mark Haley, who he has wanted from day one. Um, and now we have three, and three into two do not go. <clears throat> and the person who sits out is the boy hero, um, McCoyce, who's now nicknamed the judge because he spends that much time sitting on the bench. Um, and the fans are letting Sunus know that every week. that they, 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 they want him involved, even though Johnson and Haley are electric. Um, so there's all of that. Kenny Dulles leaves, um, of course, suddenly um, in the February, I think. Um, Rangers have been back up in Perth, um, where again, soon as his big transformative signing, all like his nets off, can be, be able to allow him to play at three at the back that he's wanted to do. Um, innocuous um, issue and just gets, gets caught in the, 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 the mud, I think. Um, so he's, he's down and out. Um, we're back up there in, in the February. Um, this is when he has his fight with Aggie the Tea Lady um, because she, she's complaining about the state of the dressing room. Um, so he, when he's fighting with tea ladies, he's thinking, because he'd been asked by Liverpool and he said no. And in the drive home, he's like, what am I doing effectively? What what is what is life becoming? This, is, it's, this, this place is too small for me. And it was, it really, really was. And is this detrimental to Rangers that, that, that I'm fighting wars on all fronts? Um, because the media as well, one of his bands was because he'd breached his touchlight band by kind of poking his head through the tunnel. Um, he'd come down from the director's box and uh, STV cameras had kind of um caught him there. So it was just a, a, a long run of things. He said, No, I'm, I'm going. And he goes out with David Murray as he always does on a Friday night. And there's just this tension, um, almost like you're going to break up with me, aren't you? That, 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 that kind of dinner. Um, and he says, he's going, you're going to Liverpool, yes, I am, um, after, the, after the end of the season. And Murray, that, that, that kind of denial thing, or, well, 
or bargaining phase, I think you call it, Gary. Um, we'll, how about you just take a year out? Just go upstairs. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll get someone else in. Um, but basically, you know, just don't don't leave. And they're sitting outside on, on a wall um, on a spring evening, basically talking about the end of their, their, their relationship. It is like in a marriage breakdown. Murray's resolve hardens and they have that famous press conference where Murray effectively says, no, you're, if you're going, you're going now. Uh, and the, the title's in, still up for grabs, only a two-point lead, um, four games to go. I said, no, if you're going, you can you can bolt. Um, and quite a lot of commentators at the time likened that press conference to being scalded by the headmaster. I, I don't see it like that at all. This is a couple at the end of counselling um, going their separate ways. And there's, there's a bit of recrimination um, written on the faces they, they can't kind of look at one another. Um, and uh, that, that was that, and, and tears in his eyes as he left, as his heroine had done, um, what, six months before. Um, and, and and yeah, that was very suddenly the end. And it was, it, Robert, it was a year of just mayhem. Terry Butcher comes back from Italy, from the World Cup in Italy, not fit. Um, cost a big goal, big goal. He, he liked an own goal to Terry um, at, at Dice and soonest dropped him for a, a League Cup semi-final against Aberdeen, which Rangers won. Um, Butcher resented that and he spoke to the media, which he was told not allowed to, to do, or spoke to STV, which he was told he wasn't allowed to do, soonest flew off the handle and, and basically um, that, that was the end of that that, that kind of relationship where he refused to play um, in, in, in another game. Um, when Sunas had kind of called called upon him, and that was again. So the Rangers captain, this totemic figure, disappears without a goodbye as well. Just this in the middle of Red Star, and then going on to beat Celtic in a cup. Everything is just, it's just too much. And little did we know the impact that was having on his health, which we would only know a year later. Had he become isolated? The, the way you're talking reminds me, and I know, like I wouldn't. It's not a perfect comparison by any means, but it reminds me a bit of the last season of The Sopranos, where Tony's just burning his bridges with humanity, basically. It feels yeah. like Sue is doing that picking fights with Butcher, McCoist, and what was his relationship like with Walter Smith? Um, never anything but but good. They had their arguments, but that, that was welcomed, but you know, Walter would basically fall behind because he understood his, his role yeah. as, as an assistant, and Sunis wanted them, wanted them to, to, to come down to, to Anfield, Again, Sunus's account is that Smith was up for it, but he got, he got cold feet right at the, the, the very end. Basically, Smith's issue was twofold. You know, Liverpool has its own ethos. You're part of that. I'm not. And I don't think this is going to work. I don't think I'd, I'd be as accepted in there as, as, as you would be because you, I have not come through it. And you have plenty of, of coaches' assistance there. Um, and also... I know that the job that you have to do at Anfield in terms of, of lighting fires under people and, and, and kind of ripping things up, but that was easier to do here after so many years of, of failure. You know, Liverpool are not far removed from from, uh, from from you know being title winners and and uh, no one would have foreseen Liverpool's future in, in, in 1991. No chance. But but Smith, I think, did understand the job that, that Sunis had on there because it was, it was a Squad that was growing old, wasn't it? Um, but I said I don't I don't think it's going to be as easy to to 
to have this kind of radical revolutionary change. It's not going to be accepted and just didn't fancy it. And he had the chance of, of the job of his, his dreams. So he didn't want to go. Gary? A little bit of uh, perspective from the, the other side of the of the Mersey, albeit we're on the same side of the Mersey, so to speak. But I, I remember at the time, and it links a little bit back to, you know, the, the Thatcherism we were talking about earlier, perhaps more specifically kind of Ayn Rand, uh, Ayn Rand's view of, of money as being the sole mediator of uh, human relations. Because I remember speaking to my brothers probably, but maybe my dad as well, saying I, I didn't think Sunus was going to be a success at Liverpool. And, you know, I, I think qualified success is probably how he's looked back upon. So I had something in it. The reason I, I came to that view um, soon after his appointment was that I didn't think he had any friends. I think he'd gone round upsetting people on and off the field. And that when the phone goes and somebody says it's Graham Sunus on the line, what you're thinking is how much am I going to get paid? There was none of the the charisma. You didn't think you were going to have an arm around the shoulder, at least from the outside looking in. And to have, because the denouement of his of his life is very different now, where he's become a a completely different character. Perhaps we first saw on those those pride marches in Brighton, and since there's the cross channel swimming. But he was a a divisive figure. Um, who, who I, I, I suspect did not have friends in the game who didn't owe him something, and what they yeah, owed yeah. him was money. Is that is that wrong? You're, you're... Uh, I, again, it goes back to this this Rob's um, Tony Soprano uh, thing. I think is is right. I, I think you're absolutely spot on. He's not going back there. Um, not well loved, respected for sure, but 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 but, but not well loved, and also. The time that he's going, soon as is the perfect man for the perfect situation at Ibrox in 1986. But football's going to change. It's going to change very quickly throughout the 1990s. And that old school um, view, um, or old school attitude to, I guess, yourself, because he did have he did have modern views about training and about diet and about how, how you live um, and in terms of the actual pitch, sometimes actually quite progressive. Um, but his manner was old school. He was he was an, an old school kind of boss's boss. And that just was not going to cut it anymore with increasingly wealthy professional footballs. How, how ironic. Um, but <laughs> we, we see that the, the, the managers cannot behave like that anymore. And that, that's what got him into plenty of problems, fights in the dressing room and everything, which he thrived. I mean, this guy got up early to practice being angry at people, right? I mean, he he was he was just that, which again, a club like Rangers in 1986 needed. But Liverpool, what, a year after being champions of England? I mean, who, who, don't care who you are. We, we, you know, we probably just don't need that. But the game was going to change as well. And I think it just kind of left them, left them behind a little bit. Um, his other big kind of issue for all his modernization was was medicine. He had a blind spot for um I mean the medical care at Ibrox, the, the, the kind of physio stuff was was a disaster. Um because this was a man who hardly missed a game through his, his professional life. He played 30 plus games a season pretty much from his breakthrough onwards, I think. And I think just assumed that if you got injured, unless it was a freak leg break or whatever, but 
if you consistently injured, you're, you're weak. And uh, you just assumed that, that, that everyone would kind of be like, he's such a blind spot with Phil Bosma, where we brought his pal to, to be the physio at, at Rangers. I think I've written the book, uh, I, I've written in the book because you know, presumably he owned his own sponge and can kind of do that, 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 that kind of job. But there was just no qualifications for that in the handling. Butcher broke his leg at Ibrox and, you know, Bosma told him to st- to stamp on it just to see in the <laughs> butcher the, the the excruciating pain that 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 led. He put in his his knee hanging by by one ligament, carried off on the back of 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 Bosma instead of being being stretched off immediately. I mean, so for for the great modernizer, and in many ways he was, and uh, many ways Rangers were commercial uh, commercial deals retail. You know, hospitality, you know, all looking absolutely further ahead. This was a, a kind of blind spot. So he had, he, he did have his old school issues, but his old school manner, Gary, it was not going to work in the 1990s. Good almost. Yeah, it's fascinating. Just what one lesson, really, how much so often these topics we talk about, how much of it is a perfect storm, isn't it? You spoke about three or four things at the start. You take any of those away, or even if you, same circumstances, but 10 years later, when like yeah, you say, players yeah. are completely different, masculinity completely different, but it just doesn't work. It's really interesting. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you'll understand, and Rangers are no different to, to many other clubs who are big but aren't maybe winning as much at the moment. Um, currently, people are looking for another sinus. They're looking for another figure, as if the agency that we bestow on these people as superheroes Um where in fact the real story of 1986 or the real hero of 1986 is 1986. It's the window of opportunity <laughs> yeah. that that was there, and I think we forget opportunity. I think we, we, we forget um, that 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 so much. But yeah, uh, things had changed. The, the the legacy. I don't know if you want to talk about that as because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, he was there for for a good good time, maybe not a long time, but. Um, <laughs> Rangers by 1992, I mean, I finished that book in 1992 because I think the revolution is over. I think domestically Rangers are now kings of all the survey and comfortably so. And I think the second revolution that that in our dreams could have happened in Europe isn't going to and really can't because of former legislation and whatever else. So um, that's kind of over by that point. But the... Why it's over is because a lot of other clubs kind of chased that, that um, or tried to replicate what what, what Rangers did. Um, I can't really go over how kind of interesting, exciting, exotic being a kid in Scotland was in the late eighties. I was what eight, seven, eight, nine um, in those those final years, and other Scottish clubs had, had gone out into um, into. To, to Europe to, to, to get players. Aberdeen are there, the Dutchman, um, Hans Hillhouse, uh, Hans yeah. so they are brilliant forward. Celtic are the two poles, um, Jack and Oski, Dubček. Um, Dundee United had Mixu Patalainen, and Motherwell had a player called Miodrag Krabokovic, who you just loved getting your, your tongue around that. that, that. It, was just, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Murn had a, a big Icelandic striker, his name was Gunny Torfesson, and he, he lived around the corner from me. He did ready-made signed <laughs> photos that, that he would kind of give to, to kids. Um, and my favourite was Dunfermline Athletic in that 1989-90 season. Um, spent five hundred and fifty thousand pounds getting its fan Cosma from from Bordeaux. Uh, so everybody tried well. it, and then 
well, they can't sustain it. Rangers can. Rangers have the stadium, they have the support, and the Taylor report is now on the horizon. Those recommendations, Rangers are not overly affected by that. They they, they have that in place, so they 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 can sustain that that kind of level of spending and, and, and ambition for a while. <laughs> um, what happens yeah. next um, into the twenty first century is a different matter, but they they, they, they could then. The Scottish clubs couldn't, and because of the the, the, the foreigner rule. Rangers have to then sign the best Scottish talent. So from 91 onwards, Andy Gorham from Hibs, Stuart McCall coming up from Everton, David Robertson from Aberdeen, Duncan Ferguson, the hottest young prospect in British football from Dundee United, Stephen Wright from Aberdeen. That weakens the rest, really, um, and creates the the hegemony that we, we all know and love now. Two things. That would be a really good short pod for you two. Duncan Ferguson, both clubs. Um, <laughs> last question for me. In European terms, were Rangers victims, inadvertent victims of their own foresight? And in hindsight, was there anything they could have done differently to avoid missing out on where we are now? Um, I mean, guess yes. It was our idea or Campbell's idea, David Murray does them to, 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 to do that. And Which is, I don't think many people, well, a few people, but it's, that's not common knowledge, I don't think. No, it was, it was interesting. Um, when Rangers said they, they, they spell out and they, they came back into the Champions League proper in 95, hmm. um, where Juventus gave them such a hiding <laughs> oh, yeah. um, that, that there was a judge in the... Um, uh, with, with the murders in Gloucester. Rose West oh, in the Rose West, West case, yeah. uh, they told the, the jury they were going out to to the house the next day oh, no. uh, oh, and no. said you can't speak about the trial, um, but maybe something slightly less depressing. You can maybe discuss Rangers' performance in Turin last night. So it was bad, but it, you know even then it was getting quoted in those kind of terms. But um, the UEFA program, which went out to every club, every game, they just put their own bits and pieces in. Um, made a big deal about that. Welcome back, Rangers. Welcome back, Campbell Ogilvy, mm. because if it wasn't for him. You know that this wouldn't be here. He did not foresee a that it'd be anything other than champions. Yeah, that's he just wanted thing, something yeah. that, that that guaranteed three games, three home games, sorry, and mm. receipts and a central pool of money, central advertising. Um, all of that um, was 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 where where he he saw it. What he did not see was the we saw the television deals being being better, but not to the extent that they were. And it became the big leagues, of course. And absolutely, Rangers were swallowed up um, by that. Um, could have been differently. I, I don't. I don't really think so. Yeah, you have mm. your shot in ninety two, ninety three. Of course, um, I I do wonder at earlier stage. Um, whether uh, the stage, I mean, uh, when, when when Wilkins goes and soon as recognises that need, maybe Rangers were strong enough to, to maybe just say, well, we're going to go this way. We're going to play in a different way. We're going to be a lot more compact. And we might lose the odd game against some of the more rudimentary physical teams at the lower end, but we'll, we'll win our kind of mini league at the top and we'll probably be okay. But this needs, it needs to change. Scottish football needs to change. But even then, you still need, as Red Star would prove, you still need a host of players as technically yeah. we can't just because that's how that's how it developed wasn't it it was by 1996 give the ball to brian and paul um and that that's that's the extent of of our our thought process really one last follow-up so you said yeah that's really interesting you said about that you said he bottled it essentially i think developing yeah. has he ever spoken about that no he would, he would never books? no i don't but even recognize really it 
because he, 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 yeah, he says a couple of times um, that this I can't, we can't do both. Um, but he brings in a player in Spackman who is ideally suited to be in top. Nineteen ninety. That was well, uh, the, the December of eighty nine into okay. ninety. Yeah, because Wilkins leaves in that 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 December of nineteen eighty nine. Spackman comes in uh, Christmas time. Yeah, mm. so. He has a ready-made replacement. The, the, the use of Trevor Stephen, for example, he does not. Yes, exactly. He does. He does now and again, but he really resists using this kind of creative but lighter player in the middle of the park, even though he knows that this is a this is a, a problem. And I promise, this is the last thing I'll say, but just to <laughs> stress how different the world was, you mentioned Trevor Stephen. It's worth mentioning that Man United wanted him, Alex Ferguson. This would be summer 89, is that right? Yes. And Stephen just had no interest. So he went to talk to Ferguson, but he didn't want to see the pitch. Ferguson, to basically, he, he could tell his mind and or heart were already in Rangers. So that's kind of interesting because, yeah, that you don't think that would happen now under any circumstances. Really. Uh, no circumstances. I mean, Gary mentioned at the start, this will never happen again. It it, it, it won't. Um, but that's that's exactly it. Gary Stevens, the, the summer... Before that, of course, um, coming up from Everton. Sorry, guys, stealing all your players. But um, it's just such a remarkable little window. And what happened the summer of 1990, of course, changes everything because English clubs are back in. And um, Italian 90 is able to be sold in a way that, that, that convinces broadcasters, blah, 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 blah. Things are, are going to change. And that, that draw is finished. This is absolutely the last thing I'll say. One of my favourite stats, and I know we spoke about it before, is oh, that in yeah, England's yeah. Italian 90 squad, the team with the most players is Rangers. They have four, yeah. nobody else has more than three. And that, I think, is a perfect summary of this era and what Sunit did. The yeah. four players being Stephen, Stephen, Butcher... Butcher and, and Woods. Woods, of yeah. course. And it's, yeah. Um, and 1982-83 would be a, a, a coda, I suppose, I uh, interviewed James Dixon, who's a brilliant book um, on that that season's Champions League, the birth of the Champions League, the birth of modern football, um, uh, called The Fix, which of course relates to Marseille's um, uh, behaviour during that particular season. Um, but he's he's absolutely not a Rangers fan, he's just a, a, a sports fan from the, the south of England, but gripped by the, the, the progress there because obviously Rangers have defeated United on on route to, to, to qualifying for that. Um and it was still cool. And and, and Rangers of Manchester United, I, I guess, where I think there's a, a there is a kind of relationship there throughout the 1990s with this this big becoming a pretty much a Goliath and hated by everyone else um uh, around um but never had that competitive interaction. They were just never drawn in in that 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 that, that same field. Um but Rangers fans were still in a bit of denial, I think, by the mid nineties that we were still at that at that level, which of course we we, we no longer were. But um, yeah, there, there, there's a kind of parallel story there as well. Okay, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up our deepish dive. Some would say it was a deep dive. <laughs> There's more information on your website and in in your books, Martin. Do you want to have a, a last plug? I'm going to shuffle you into the spotlight for it. Yeah, Revolution Rangers 86 to 92 is still available out there wherever you get your books. And the second volume it will be out in October, The Pursuit of History, 92 to 98. Um, 
searching for nine in a row, but just as football is moving into the 21st century, Rangers appear to be moving backwards to settle old <laughs> scores. But yeah, Britain in the 1990s and all of that. And the podcast? It's heart and hand for any Rangers fans or anyone who's interested. Well, thanks very much to Rob Smythe. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. To Martin Ramsey, who's Pleasure. very much led the show. Uh, brilliantly so, Martin. Pleasure. Thank you, Gary. And I've been Gary Naylor. We'll be back with, I suspect, we're never quite sure, but I suspect the last in this season of Ness and Dorma over the next week or two. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Please comment if you so wish. Uh, We're always delighted to hear your views. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye.